spinning back to the open side. Corain Bete, up the here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu, looking for Corain Bete, back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch, and I'm proud to say that I have the head coach of the Australian Wallaroos with me, Jay Tregoning. Jay, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Ando and Mitch. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, we start this way with most of our guests today. What day of the week is it? I don't even know. Tuesday. How has your Tuesday been, mate? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, full day of teaching today. Um, PE teaching might see a bit of redness in my face. Pretty warm day down here in Wollongong. So, um, yeah, been out, um, been out the full full day of uh, of practical lessons. Mate, I was always, I was wondering when I was doing a bit of research and finding out full time teacher. It's not even part time teacher with the coaching role on the side. It's full time teacher. I'm pretty sure you're a head of faculty as well, and and have the role with the Wallaroos. How is it that you actually manage your time between those different responsibilities? And you got a family too. Uh, yeah, with a very understanding wife, um, that's for sure. But um, I actually stepped away from um, from the head of department stuff when I picked up the Wallaroos uh, at the or the end of uh, 2021. <clears throat> so 2022 was kind of the first year I hadn't been a, a head of department or head of sport for probably about eight or nine years, um, and was fortunate enough that um, that I was able to to balance everything. Uh, this year is going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm looking to obviously pursue coaching a little bit more and and to spend the time on it. Um, yeah, I think balancing that full time work is uh, is always going to be difficult, and the and the school and I um, have had discussions about that. So I might be looking for a bit of casual work in uh, in term two, three, and four. If you know any of uh, schools and that up your way. <laughs> Mate, we could always use an extra one. A little bit further away from you, though, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. Travel. Um, yeah, it'd be about a three-hour drive from where you are, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's one of the things that I really like exploring. It seems that a lot of um, rugby coaches and personalities have a an education background. And so what is it about the, um, the education pr- profession that you found yourself in that really closely aligns to the role that you have as coach? Is it the developmental element of it? Is the interpersonal skills really important? Like what part of being an educator or a teacher aligns best with your role as coach? Yeah, so look, I think that, um, you know, across the board, there's all, all the different areas of teaching um, where you, you we're looking at, you know, as a teacher, as as you know, sometimes you have you know five or six classes that you're you know trying to to get them engaged in what you're doing to start off with, but then providing them feedback to try to make them better. Um, to me, sometimes rugby is a bit more um, teaching simplified in that you've got one group of people, um, all with a common goal, all are really keen to be there to improve, um, and then you're going through that um, you know that that feedback learning performance cycle on a, on a regular basis so um for me having that teaching teaching background I, I feel that being able to um being able to push um players through that 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 cycle um and, and been having that experience you know for for 20 odd years as a teacher um is yeah, is obviously that main connection there for sure yeah, it's, it's a really key point. We found that um, in our chat with Jason Gilmore as well. That was really, really important for him and how he approached particularly the kind of youth squad coaching role that he'd had amongst a different variety of roles 
both at New South Wales and in the QIU. Um, so moving moving forward then, I guess one of the interesting things is the recent, we're, we're going to talk all things Wallaroos are due process, but just sticking on an idea of kind of the development of individuals and players, the Wallaroos now have the opportunity to be semi-professional within their setup moving forward. And the goal is for that to be increasing uh, over the coming years ahead of the next World Cup. In what ways are you excited for the growth of the players and the way that they will now be able to commit more of their time and more of their focus to rugby, whereas previously, like yourself, it had been something that they were passionate about and they cared about deeply, but because it wasn't full time, because they weren't paid much for their involvement, they didn't have capacity to be delivering as much. Yeah, I think the, the, the group of players that we had involved throughout last year, the, the commitment and that that they put in um, was unbelievable. Um, obviously, you not only have um, people, uh, players that were working full-time or studying full-time, we had some mothers within the group and that as well, um, balancing work and, and family. Uh, so that whole um, aspect of um, playing sport at that level um, with balancing everything like that actually probably made us who we were, I think. Um, so that, that wasn't a um, all negative. But the players definitely realised that, you know, to compete against those top three teams in the world that are, um, you know, have got a bit more of a professional background in England, New Zealand and France, um, probably more time um, on their individual, working on their individual skills, um, the athletic performance needs um, were, were definitely the, the big areas of improvement that we saw. Um, these contracts this year is, is a reward for the players for the work that they've already put in. So it's not going to be demanding anything extra of them. Um, we acknowledge that the, the work that they've put in even throughout last year um, was enormous. And these contracts aren't saying right now that you've got a contract, you need to be here at a certain time and doing extra work. Um, but it also it allows some of the players to to be able to talk to their work and talk to their employer and maybe take another day off here and there if if that's feasible for them to actually um, work on work on specific areas as well. Yeah, that's really really important, and um, glad to hear that there is that growth and opportunity coming. And I'll hit you up on that. But Mitch wanted to jump in with a question. Yeah, so uh, you, you briefly touched on uh, the Wallaroos' performance in the two, 2022 World Cup. Yeah. What were some of the key takeaways that you had for you personally as a coach of of the Wallaroos, but I guess of the all, the whole kind of makeup of the semi-professional um, approach that RA was taking at the time? Yeah, I think um, obviously we were shown um, of where we were at once we started playing some of the top four teams, obviously we were competitive against Canada, um, who were ranked fourth. We had a good hit out against France the week before the World Cup um, took off, which was kind of behind closed doors. But again, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit behind France. Now, there's stages where we were competitive with New Zealand and unfortunately couldn't get the first win against the Black Ferns for the Wallaroos. Um, and then the conditions didn't help us too much in that last game against England. But again, we're, we're a little bit off in regards to um, the, the physicality and um, just the experience skill set that they had. Um, we had 19 debutants last year too. So that whole process of, um, you know, being able to get girls some match experience um, was, was very important to us. Um, 
we had Rachel Hunter, the English captain, in the um, in the last game, um, or in the quarterfinal against us, become the most capped England player of all times with a, a, a hundred and sixty odd, I believe. Yep. Um, the Wallaroos have only played you know sixty six Test matches in total, so. That's how far we are in regards to the experience of the international program and that as well. Um, but I, as I said, I believe overall the way that um, Super W was introduced in 2018 with the, you know, with, with the need of um, girls playing more um, competitive rugby leading into in an international season was was definitely a bonus. Adding Fiji in last year, uh, the, the drawing um, to the competition last year was was great for for the players. Um, the Waratahs girls going over and having a recent trial over in New Zealand, just all those experiences um, and and um, the, the ability to play against tough opposition week in, week out is going to be the best thing for, um, for the Wallaroos' performance going forward. And I guess as a fan, we kind of sat there and watched the performance of the girls in that World Cup and honestly, like, we were really proud of all of them for getting as far as they did in the competition. Uh, I guess one of the things that we sort of got a takeaway from the overall competition was that uh, particularly as they got later into the into the comp and as they got into the the quarterfinals was that the sort of maybe the depth of squad wasn't quite there and the as you said the athletic ability or the um sort of conditioning for the players was that something that really kind of impacted the way that you would have liked to have sort of played in that final game was there I mean there a few injuries that sort of popped up and then you sort of had to manage time for some of the players as well. Was that something that had you had more depth to kind of prepare going in might have been able to give you a better result? Yeah, look, the the whole 32 that we had over there were more than capable of playing for us week in, week out. We're obviously picking the best team that we thought for that game. Um, Unfortunately, there were some players that went over on the tour and didn't get any game time. And that was kind of based on like every game was kind of a match, a, a must win for us. And we were selecting the best team that we thought um, would do that for us on on the game day. So, look, I think depth wise was building, and I, and I think that as I said, that the, the whole thirty two that we had in our squad were more than capable of of playing for the Wallaroos on any given day. Um, just the, again in regards to uh, what we thought from a selection point of view, um, kind of governed who didn't. Um, definitely the athletic performance needs, um, being being full time athletes and training making some, um, uh, you know, better decisions under fatigue, um, some executions of skill under fatigue. Um, and again, that was probably more evident within the pack four and that as well. We're, we're definitely areas that we thought um, were our biggest work-ons for sure. Looking at the way in which the team has kind of been revitalised with all the new players that you've been blotting over the last year or so, you came into the role at the end of 2021. Yep. Um, and your predecessor left in pretty... Uh, acrimonious circumstances. And so we had a couple of questions that came in from fans um, wanting to just have an understanding of what you had done in your role to try and change the culture within the Wallaroos or to improve upon the situation that you found when you walked into that role. Um, So a question came in from Red Roberts. You were brought in to fix the culture of the Wallaroos as part of your role. How did you go about doing that? What else needs to be done? Yeah, well, I think the culture's... It's a difficult, um, a difficult, difficult thing to to judge um, in regards to positive and negative. Some people see you know players enjoying themselves and and winning, and, and they think the culture is great. 
and sometimes it's not, not the case and sometimes teams are losing and and they might think the culture is bad and again sometimes that's not the case either um look i um kind of came in with with the outset so the foundations for um for for culture for me are, are safety trust and belonging so players need to feel safe um, within the environment that they're in, and that's obviously from a physical and psychological safety um, point of view. Um, they need to trust, you know, what what's being said is is happening, and, and the work that people are in to try to make them better and trust each other around there. And they need to be need to belong and and, and develop that sense of belonging through the sense of history and that within the Wallaroos. So that kind of focused our thinking throughout the year, and and there was definitely some. Um, some areas that I know that we could have done better on earlier on in the year as well um, in regards to um, where we were and, and making sure that that was um, upheld for, for everyone. Um, and, um, but throughout the year, we, um, we developed that. And, and I think, um, you know, near the end of the year I, I, and within the World Cup, the, the players were, um, you know, we were away for a long time together and, and the players did enjoy their time together and they were working hard for each other. And to me, um, you know, that was an indicator that the culture was 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 good. Um, and I know that, you know, obviously that the the previous circumstances or the circumstances that the previous coach left, um, but I hadn't been around the team to see, you know, like on the day-to-day acting on on where that culture um, was in regards to um, whether it was a, a negative culture or a bad culture. It might have been just a mistake that the coaches made um, and that obviously not reflective of the overall culture of the team as well. Yeah, fair. When you so- did come in, you um, sort of shifted the leadership for uh, the Wallaroos and went in a different direction than what they've done for the past few years. Was that um, maybe not so much a, a reason of culture, but was that just something that you what was your reasoning behind that, I guess? And was that like freshening up something for a new coaching structure and a new team and a new direction that you wanted to take the girls in? Yeah, look, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Like we wanted to, you know, um, continue to develop and continue and improve. And we had access to, you know, like someone like Shannon Parry. Now Shannon's obviously previously captain the Wallaroos when she's come in within World Cup years and had that experience um, and obviously had the experience of, you know, leading a country through the Olympic campaign in 2016 as well. So, like, we're, um, like from my point of view, it was, you know, being able to bring in that um, stability factor of of Shannon, who had been there before within those um, within those competitions, um, and obviously lean on her experience and have those discussions and that with her as well. Looking ahead then to where things are at within the Wallaroos moving forward, we've had the huge announcement of Eddie Jones's involvement both within Australian rugby. He brings headlines and brings a lot of news stories. Good old Eddie, the most successful English coach of all time, I believe. Um, a lot has been said about his role within Australian rugby as a whole, but not so much has been said within his role overseeing the Wallaroos. So I was wondering if you can provide a little bit more information about uh, what your working relationship will be with Eddie moving forward and um, whether his role will primarily be oversight and strategic kind of guidance, giving you ideas of how to be running a program moving forward. Yeah, look, Eddie, uh, I had some good conversations with Eddie on the way to Narrabri um, last weekend, uh, sorry, the weekend before last. Um, We're looking at, um, you know, obviously, using him to to make the Wallaroos better where we can. So um, he's going to be in that advisory overseeing role where 
you know, we can obviously fire things off to him and ask questions um, of him, um, get his input, get his thoughts. Um, and he'll obviously have a look at the program and again, make suggestions on where he feels that we could be better. Um, he's, he's, he's kind of given us the, you know, the guidance that it is our team and, and, and he's there to, to help us. Um, and, and we'll drive that in regards to getting him in and, and getting his feedback where we can for sure. Yeah, brilliant. So it is your program to be running and the Walrus are own separate entity and he's providing guidance and advice. Yeah. But it's still your program that you run. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. And, um, you know, as I said, it's, uh, it, it's an outstanding resource for us. And, you know, the whole focus of obviously trying to make the Wallaroos performance better on the field, having someone with that experience to be able to look at what we're doing and, and provide feedback to try to improve that um, is great for us. When you first started um, your role as as head coach of the Wallaroos and you came in, was there something that, like, was there a conversation you had with, I guess, RA around the style of play, like the Aussie style of play? It's something that we're often talked about. There is an Australian style and we need to stick to it. Is that something that you were, you spoke about and that that you, they wanted you to coach in a certain way or did you just get free reign and do what you want? Yeah, pretty much free reign. Um, and again, like we want to build on the strengths that of the players and the performances within Super W and that as well. Like we're, um, you know, like we we want to try to play a, you know, like a, an all round game, so to speak. You know, and and you want I want to try to, you know, coach the perfect game where you can. But it's not it's something that we try to focus on, um, and and try to look at. You know what what is you know looking like. Um, a, a perfect game in that for us and and how do we play, best play this opposition to me the style of play ve- varies depending on who you're playing and and the strengths and the weaknesses of the opposition as well so we don't want to be um, pigeonholed into one specific style um, we definitely know that to, to to play a competitive style of rugby we need to be um, a, a little bit fitter and, and stronger than than where we were last year um, and again, that whole thing of um, in, in regards to the skill set under fatigue as well. Yep. And um, looking more into the plans that RA have for the Wallaroos moving forward, we've spoken about Eddie already, uh, yeah. but there's also that exciting news about the investment in the women's game. Now, one of the things that I'm really excited about was that the um, the news about the increased financial investment for the players was the first step in phases of change moving forward. Are you able to provide any broad structures around what that might look like without getting into trouble or is that something yeah. that's still a bit hush-hush at the moment? Yeah, was, I mean, it's still, um, must be still a little bit hush-hush because I don't haven't seen the whole steps forward or anything like that myself. Um, again, I've got a contract at the end of the year and it's outstanding that um, the, the players, as I mentioned before, are rewarded for the work that they're already putting in. Um, and that's these contracts this year is more about the financial reward for for the work that they've, they've done and, and obviously will be doing in that this year, um, juggling their their studies and their work um, and, and playing rugby. So um, we do know that, you know, that there is a goal that, um, you know, hopefully the, the girls um, or a number of girls are on professional contracts um, leading into the Home World Cup um, in 2029. Um, and again, depending on how things are, are performing, whether that's accelerated um, through two girls, some girls being professional or fully professional leading into the 2025 World Cup as well. Yeah, Has there been any talk around, uh, like for the Wallabies, we know that they have the Gitto Law or the International mm-hmm. Amendment. Is there something similar that 
um, applies for the Wallaroos as well? And I guess, does it have a name? No, it definitely doesn't have a name. Um, we're looking at the, the, the same rules are applying for us um, as being able to um, select three international players. Um, but the caps obviously are of, um, not, a, not a factor within that. Um, we've got plenty of girls playing overseas at the moment. The main difference is, is that they're on contracts for a year. They're not contracted to clubs over there for the multi-year contract. So um, if they, obviously, when they return home and they're not contracted, they're um, fully, fully eligible for selection. Um, one rule that was put in place was the contract tiers. Um, obviously, there were three tiers of contracting. Um, and to be eligible for tier one um, of the contracts, they needed to be playing in the Super W competition. I've got we had Emma, Emily Chancellor <laughs> on at the end of last year, uh, sort of in the lead up to the World Cup, and we, we had spoken to her around her move overseas. And so that was one thing that we kind of, I guess we made a promise to her that if there is a name that's going to be thrown around, we'll make it the Chancellor. <laughs> so we'll give that for you to to talk to who needs to, who you need to, to make that reality. Yeah, I'll um I'll mention that to her next time we're having a chat. Um, <laughs> well, I've been keeping in contact with them over there. They're having a, a great time, and obviously, you know, the announcements of um of the contracts probably raises a little bit of fear of missing out from those girls mm. that are over there. But um, they've gone over there for that uh, that experience and and playing in a in a competition that you know obviously it was eighteen weeks long and and training with some other international players from different countries and. Um, and, uh, yeah, they all feel that their rugby is improving over there, which is outstanding for us. Have there been chats with those players that with these contracts now, the part-time contracts, that that might help lure them back home? And, and obviously, like, they are on part-time, as you said, and they're only there for the year. But um, I guess that that's helpful for you to have those conversations to say come back and play for the Wallaroos later in the year. Yeah, definitely. Look, they've all obviously, you know, let made their intentions known that they're keen to play for the Wallaroos at the end of the year. So, um, some of them had made the decision to um, to obviously stay over there and and forego coming back um, to play Super W and and get a Tier One contract. And some of those girls over there would have been eligible for the Tier One contracts for sure. But they've made that choice, as I said, because you know that they went over there. Um, knowing that that would more, more than likely be the case in regards to the contracting, but also um, over there for the experience and, and trying to improve their their rugby um, playing in that competition and that over there. So, yeah, as I said, it's um, it's definitely um, definitely something that's been spoken about honestly with them. Um, and I think as the you know as, as the contracts and that expand and and progress forward, and as we mentioned, it's the kind of the first stepping stone towards professionalism. Um, it's definitely going to, you know, obviously keep our top athletes here in Australia. That um, that level of excitement of being able to go and travel the world and do uh, rugby overseas. I mean, who is it? Kaylin Leaney, Arabella McKenzie, and Chancellor. Like their Instagram is just full of photos of them having fun with other players within a team, going out, exploring the countryside in and around England, and just absolutely living it up over there. So. Yeah. Uh, you don't begrudge them that experience at all, but we definitely hope that they're going to be back on Australian shores <laughs> pretty, pretty soon because they're all fantastic players. Yeah, um, question from Hugh Tyndall has asked, and we might just go into a bit more of kind of the rugby game side of things as we start to wrap things up. 
But Hugh Tyndall asked, what are the biggest gaps between the Wallaroos and the top sides, e.g. New Zealand or England? We saw in the World Cup that the Wallaroos really took it to the Black Ferns in that opening game. The first twin, the first half, essentially, of that game was incredible to watch as a Wallaroos fan. Um, things didn't go our way in the second half, but it just shows that we've got capacity. What do you think are the areas that we need to be building upon? Yeah, I think um, there was definitely areas within our set piece that could have improved throughout the year. And, um, you know, in that quarterfinal against England, that was probably one of the areas where we couldn't get parity, um, which made it difficult as well. Um, but again, a lot of that is that that execution under fatigue, as we've mentioned before. Um, it was the first time um, that we've led the Black Ferns at half time, and that was done twice throughout last year. Um, and just unable to go away with the game or go on with the game. So um, that's definitely the area that's going to be the big focus for us. Um, Rugby Australia um, has recently um, employed a full-time head of an athletic performance to solely look after the Wallaroos to get around to the Super W clubs um, and to um, you know try to improve in that area as well. Um, and that person is scheduled to start and be announced um, by next week. So... Um, as I said, that's a massive step forward for the Wallaroos and that be, that is a big focus. So I was part of those discussions where we were talking about um, full-time staff members and, and in agreement that um, we thought that was an area that probably needed to become full-time before the full-time coaches and that as well. So um, it's definitely an area that, um, that that's going to be a big focus for us moving forward. Looking then at the World Cup in a broader sense, how do you think, how, how would you rate the performance out of 10 if we give it the old kind of marker? Um, obviously, there were really great moments, some areas in which the girls were um, struggling a bit against the top teams, but without a doubt, gutsy. How do you as a coach rate it overall? Yeah, like in regards to commitment and guts, that's yeah. definitely up there in regards to that 9 and 10. In regards to an overall performance, um, it was great that the girls... Well, you know, everyone was saying it was a great achievement making the World Cup. The girls were pretty gutted after we we lost that World Cup. And they wanted to, they knew that we didn't perform at our best against England. Um, and I feel that they, uh, you know, that they knew that they could be better there as well. So overall, we're definitely, definitely above average. We're looking at probably that six or seven mark and then looking mm-hmm. at trying to get consistent high eights, nines and tens throughout 2023 for sure. And then building upon that then, what are you going to be doing um, in this Super W season or what role will that head of athletics performance be? Uh, what what areas will that person be focusing on in 2023 up, leading up into the internationals that you've got scheduled for this year? Yeah, look, we want to obviously just see where the girls are at and and see where we can improve them. Um, the main focus, again, is the is, is that overall um, um strength and um and, and aerobic capacity throughout the back end of the games that we felt that was probably the focus that that was needed throughout this year so but as i said like well, more discussions will be had about that over the next couple of weeks once um once the new athletic performance um person starts um and we'll get around to the super w clubs to see where they're at yeah brilliant well, mate, um, honestly, that's it from us. We have really, really appreciated your time coming onto the pod. Um, love the opportunities that are coming up for the Wallaroos moving forward. Really excited to see the growth within the team and the organisation over the coming years. And all the best for a fantastic 2023, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Thank you, Ando. Appreciate it. And thank you to Mitch. Awesome. All the best, mate. Cheers. Bye.